taking to go to the barbarians' countries, in the words of a contemporary inscription, and confer presence on them so as to transform them by displaying our power. Overawed ambassadors from the peripheral peoples of the Indian Ocean returned with the fleet to pay tribute to Yonglei, to acknowledge and admire China as the centre of the world. The jewels, pearls, gold, ivory, and exotic animals which they laid before the emperor were little more than a symbolic recognition of Chinese superiority. The countries beyond the horizon and at the end of the earth have all become subjects, it was recorded. The Chinese were referring to the world of the Indian Ocean, though they had a good idea what lay further off. Whilst Europe was pondering horizons beyond the Mediterranean, how the oceans were connected and the possible shape of Africa, the Chinese seemed to know already. In the 14th century they had created a map showing the African continent as a sharp triangle, with a great lake at its heart and rivers flowing north. The year after the giraffe arrived in Beijing and 21,000 sea miles away, a different form of power was being projected onto the shores of Africa. In August 1415, a Portuguese fleet sailed across the Straits of Gibraltar and stormed the Muslim port of Ceuta in Morocco, one of the most heavily fortified and strategic strongholds in the whole Mediterranean. Its capture astonished Europe. At the start of the 15th century, Portugal's population numbered no more than a million. Its kings were too poor to mint their own gold coins. Fishing and subsistence farming were staples of the economy, but its poverty was matched only by aspiration. King João I, John the Bastard, founder of the ruling house of Avis, had snatched the country's crown in 1385 and asserted the country's independence from neighbouring Castile. The assault on Ceuta was designed to soak up the restless energies of the noble class in a campaign that combined the spirit of medieval chivalry with the passions of crusade. The Portuguese had come to wash their hands in infidel blood. They fulfilled their contract to the letter. Three days of pillage and massacre had ransacked a place once described as the flower of all other cities in Africa, its gateway and key. This stunning coup served notice to European rivals that the small kingdom was self-confident, energetic, and on the move. Three of Joao's sons, Duarte, Pedro, and Enrique, had earned their spurs at Ceuta during a day of fierce fighting. On the 24th of August, in the city's mosque, ritually cleansed with salt and renamed Our Lady of Africa, they were knighted by their father. For the young princes, it was a moment of destiny. In Ceuta, the Portuguese had been afforded a first glimpse of the wealth of Africa and the Orient. The city was the roadhead for the caravans trafficking gold across the Sahara from the Senegal River and the most westerly entrepot of the Islamic spice trade with the Indies. Here, wrote the Portuguese chronicler, came all the merchants of the world, from Ethiopia, Alexandria, Syria, Barbary, Assyria, as well as those from the Orient who lived on the other side of the Euphrates River and from the Indies, and from many other lands that are beyond the Axis and that lie beyond our eyes. The Christian conquerors had seen for themselves the stores of pepper, cloves, and cinnamon, then wantonly destroyed them in a search for buried treasure. They had looted the booths of an apocryphal 24,000 traders and smashed their way into ornately carpeted dwellings of rich merchants and beautifully vaulted and tiled underground cisterns. Our poor houses looked like pigsties compared to those of Ceuta, wrote an eyewitness.
It was here that Enrique particularly first perceived the wealth that might be reached beyond the Axis if the Islamic barrier could be outflanked down the coast of Africa. Ceuta marked the beginning of Portuguese expansion, the threshold of a new world. It was Portugal's fate and fortune to be locked out of the busy Mediterranean arena of trade and ideas. On the outer edge of Europe, peripheral to the Renaissance, the Portuguese could only look enviously at the wealth of cities such as Venice and Genoa, which had cornered the market in the luxury goods of the Orient, spices, silks and pearls, traded through the Islamic cities of Alexandria and Damascus and sold on at monopoly prices. Instead, they faced the ocean. Twenty miles west of the seaport of Lagos, the coast of Portugal ends in a rocky headland looking out over the Atlantic, Cape St. Vincent. This is the prow of Europe, the continent's southwesternmost point. In the Middle Ages, certainty about the world ended here.